All right, here we go. You know we're in the middle of this sermon series um, called, it's not even the middle, we're probably just getting started because every Sunday I go home and I think, you know what I can talk about next? Or somebody walks up and says, you know what you can talk about next? Um, But it's in my mind. We're in this series called No Rock to Throw. The Christian church is not about throwing rocks at people who are different than us or sinners or whatever, okay? We're, we're not there. That's not what we're the, the Christian church, the message of the Christian church is not a sword to go cut people with. It is not a hammer to hammer them with. It is an invitation into a right relationship with God that invites us, maybe even convicts us, to come away from our sin. And so as we deal with this, I want to deal with some of the things. Last week we, we dealt with gender issues. There's only two. Um, God saw to that. It was God's plan. You can't change it. Okay? Biology says no. That's a done deal. Um, today I want to deal with a different one, only I want to go inside the church. And again, I've got no rock to throw. Okay? But, but there are issues inside of the church where people are throwing rocks back and forth at each other, and it's pretty ugly, all right? And it's not a let's agree to disagree. For me, it's not like that. It's like, let's look and see what the Bible says about what the Bible says, and let's actually study it instead of pick and choose a verse to beat each other with or to throw at each other, because that's what people like to do, okay? Let's just stop and say, hey, let's just understand that sometimes we as a church family, we throw rocks at each other. And we need to put our rocks down, okay? One of the most um, asked questions, one of the questions that I feel the most in this church has to do with um, women in leadership. There are more people that will walk into my office, come into this church, walk out of this church (laughs) um, during the service um, because we believe in women in leadership. And uh, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, hey, I want to hear where you are on this. I'm trying to understand it. And here's my deal. I will have this conversation with anybody. Just bring your Bible, okay? This is an educational sermon. There is time for ministry at the end. We are going to go like a speeding bullet through scripture, and we're going to start in Genesis, and we're not going to stop until we get to the book of Acts, okay? And really, we're not going to stop there. But I want to, I want to share that with you. I want, to, I want to just jump right into this thing and go, because this has been an issue for the church from the beginning of the church. And I know that because most of the scriptures that people will grab are 2,000 years old, and that's basically how old the church is. It's 2,000 years old, see? So it has always been an issue. Other thing that I just need to lay a little little groundwork for you in is this. When you're studying scripture, when you're studying theology, theology means the study of God. That's not what the theo at the front is. Theo at the front is God, okay? Ology means study of, all right? So biology is of our human being. Theology is God, Okay, so one of the rules of theology when you're trying to understand something is something that's referred to as the law of usage. Did God ever? Okay, 
And so you, you look at that. And so you stop and say, did God ever do this? Did God ever do that? Is there any place in the scripture where God did this? Okay, and that's important to us as we look at this um, particular issue. So we're going to jump in. Okay, what do you do with women? That's that, that you know, as, as we look at this, it's like, wow, there we are, um, and that's the situation. But I want to jump in here and look at the scripture. Last week we talked about the fact that God created women as ezers, ezers. Okay, suitable helpers. Understanding that that word suitable helper is used in the book of Genesis and from there on after it is used to define or to talk about God or the power of the Holy Spirit. So the idea that we would twist it and make it be some subservient thing is a little ridiculous. Okay, it's a suitable helper. Somebody that comes alongside to help us get through. And you go to the Psalms and it's like, this is God. He is our hope. He is our suitable helper. He's our azer. He is going to get us through this thing. He's going to help us. Not, we're going to tell God what to do. See? So there's that wrestling that you've got to do with that just a little tiny bit. All right? So as we look at this, we understand that God saw that there was problems in the world or, you know, they were there. Um, the first problems that God looked at was loneliness, okay, um, and um, needing some help. There's times in our lives where we're more lonely. There's times in our lives where we need help. This is the definition of why we understand that we were created for community, and so it gets really funny when people are like, oh, I can worship God better out on the golf course. No, you can't. <laughs> because God is doing something. He built the church. He told us to come together. He gave gifts to everybody as the church had need. He called us the body, which means multiple parts. We'll get into that later, but there it is. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. All right? If you've got your Bible with you, God bless you. Get something to write on out, okay? Because we're going to write in our Bibles today. And if you don't, maybe get comfortable with bringing one just for fun. Because um, I, I really like doing it this way. But we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to jump in at um, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 16. All right? Now, God has already created Adam and Eve. He's already created them, one male, one female. He's put them in the garden. He's given them some instructions and so we're at the place where that serpent comes in, all right? Verse 1, now the serpent. There it is. See, that's how I knew this is the place where the serpent comes in because it tells you right in the Bible, now the serpent, okay? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat from the tree, said to the serpent, we may eat from the uh, fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will know, uh, be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She took some and she ate it. Now look, I want you to underline what it says next. She also gave some to her husband who was, with there, uh, who was there with her and he ate it. He was standing right there the whole time, okay? 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the wife heard the sounds of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord uh, God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered. Do you think God really didn't know where he was? I mean, I don't think the garden was all that big, to be honest with you. He's like over in the carrot row or something, but come on. Um, he called to him anyway, and he said, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from it, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And this is where Jesus comes in right here, okay? And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you and her offspring, okay, and hers, and he will, this is Jesus, he will crush your head, and this is the devil, and you will strike his heel. That's what's going to happen. That is a prophetic word from the beginning about Jesus and the crucifixion. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so as we enter into this question about women in leadership, women in the church, how they can operate, what can they do, what can they not do, and things like that, what we have to deal with at the very, very beginning is where did the problem come from? Where did the subjugation of women to men actually come from? Because in the beginning, God created Adam and Azer, a suitable helper, and the only, again, the word was only used for God and the Holy Spirit after that. But a suitable helper to help him get his work done, who, stood, who could stand right next to him, right alongside of him, who could walk with him. Okay, so that's in the beginning. That's what's going on. At some point, Adam subjected, if you will, Eve to his thumb. And it's like, what in the world is going on? And I would contend with you that it is absolutely right there in front of your face. This is in the beginning. It's not a storybook. It is an actual accounting of what's going on. Okay. I will also tell you that plucking fruit off that tree in and of itself was not the sin. Okay, When Eve took the what? Apple? No. The word apple is not used in your Bible. Okay, It makes a nice picture in Americana, early colonial Americana. It makes, you know, Johnny Appleseed, you know, so when we talk fruit, apple. Okay, it says she took the fruit from the tree, she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was there with her also. Okay, so we recognize that's going on. A lot of people will say, if Eve just wouldn't have ate that apple. The apple was only a reflection of the rebellion in Eve's heart. That's the sin, the rebellion. You don't believe me, when you read your, your Bible, read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, look at how many times it talks about the pride and the pride of rebellion. The, the pride of rebelling against the word of God. Eve rebelled in her heart against the known word of God and ate the fruit. She rebelled. God said, don't do it, and she did it. See, 
That's the rebellion, and that's the sin. And then all of a sudden, we get into this situation where everybody has to blame everybody else. Now, don't we live in that world? Don't we live in a world where it's got to be somebody's fault? First thing we have to figure out is whose fault. We got a problem. Whose fault is it? Why can't we just say we got a problem? How do we solve it? Right? We can just admit we got a problem. We got, you know, three good tires, and one of them's flat. Why do we got to get out and decide whose fault was it that we got a flat tire? Well, was it the government's fault because there's a pothole on I-75? Was it the government's fault because there was an accident on I-75 and nobody cleaned up the highway good enough and so I got a, a nail or a chunk of, of somebody else's car or whatever? Um, in, in, in my house, it's like I came to understand that, you know, it, it, my wife, we, we would just be having a problem. I would say, look, this is what happened. This is the deal. And she might say something like, okay, I knew that was going to end up being my fault somehow. And it's like, okay, Joe needs to understand the idea that we don't have to ascribe blame to everybody. We do not have to do that. We can just stop and say, this is the problem. How shall we solve it? But this is a picture of where that came from. Original sin. This is where it comes from that we have to blame somebody. Maybe if we could just get on with the fixing, we would be a lot better of a community or or a society. But here's the deal. Okay, God comes in. He goes, all right, listen, Adam, where are you? Again, I think he knew... he knew right where he was. And, and Adam, like, I'm over here behind the fern um, hiding. I'm naked. I don't want you to see me naked, God. And God said, who told you you were naked? And he said, the serpent. Okay, so here's the deal. He says, did you eat from the fruit? And here comes the blame game. It's, it's getting started. Okay, who did Adam blame? Blame. No. You say, what? Who did Adam blame? Eve. No. He didn't blame Eve. Read the words of your Bible. This is where you need to underline it. And Adam said, it was the woman that you put in this garden with me to make me a happy camper. Okay? Adam blamed God. And God said to Eve, Eve, what is this thing that you've done? And she said, the serpent... He did it to me. And I love that. Then God turns around and he doesn't say, okay, listen, you wily little snake. Why'd you do it? He he doesn't even go there. He just goes, bam, in my mind with his big old foot. He just lands on the serpent just wholeheartedly. He's like, Adam, what happened? It it was the woman that you gave me, God. If you hadn't put her in here, then none of this would have happened. And then Eve, what's up? And he goes, "It, it was the serpent. And then he turns to the serpent, he lands on him and says, oh, this is about what's going to happen to you, you accuser of people. And so he lands right on him. But then comes the curse. And the curse came as a result of the rebellion. Adam, his curse is painful toil, thorns, thistles, plants from the field for food. And you work hard, you will earn your food by the sweat of your brow until you die. Sweat of your brow. To Eve, she gets severe pain in childbirth, and you will long for your husband, but he will rule over you. There's the subjection of Eve to Adam. There it is right there. Okay, you need to underline that and circle it, and and you've got to wrestle with that specific passage in your Bible as you move forward into the freedom of Jesus Christ. You have to. You can't not start right there. We were created by God to reflect God 
and be a reflection of God in our relationship to one another. We were not created to live in subjection to either one of us until the sin. Do you see that? Can we all agree on that? That's where it happened, right there. So the subjection of women is clearly a direct result of the fall of original sin. We can't get around it. We have to believe that because it's written in our Bibles. That's where women became subjects of men, okay? And you will long for your husband. He will rule over you, all right? It says, we also know that's where Jesus begins to be reflected back to us in the Scripture, okay? And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush his head, your head and you will strike his heel. He's speaking to the serpent there. And we know that in Israel, we've got to stop and say this law of usage. So we've got the subjection of women and we've got the word that I'm not going to chase down Paul's writing from um, 1 Timothy, um, where in, in 1 Timothy 2 he says, I do not permit a woman um, to have authority over a man. Women must um, learn in silence, it says, okay? <clears throat> but, but, but there it is. And so we begin to stop and ask ourselves, if this is where the subjection of women is, then how do we move forward and how do we understand this? And so we stop and we say, has God ever used a woman in leadership? Okay, has he ever used a woman in leadership? Has he ever used a woman in um, spiritual leadership? Has he ever used a woman in political leadership? Has he ever used a woman in military leadership? Has he ever used a woman in leadership? And the answer to that is an absolute yes. Yes. So when we stop and we do this and we're like, we don't have women in leadership, we don't like, you know what's crazy is there's an organization out there, at least one of them, where if a woman will stand right here on the floor that you're on, she can teach her heart out. We won't call it preaching because it's a woman. But she can teach her heart out. But heaven help her, if she steps up here 11 inches and looks at you, she's going to burn in hell and heaven's going to come down here, consume the whole church. You know, as a matter of fact, that's probably what's wrong with America right now anyway, is, you know, that 11 inches that women have stepped up to, they just are trying to take over that 11 inches and we're like if we could just get back to where they'd stay on the floor it could we're not reading our bible we're listening to voices that are not from heaven and my wife said you sounded a little bit mean or angry in the first service so try to lighten that up um, <laughs> I'm going to try, don't throw stones at me, okay, because I'm not really throwing stones at you. I'm not. I'm talking to the church that throws stones at women. It has to stop. It's got to quit. So we see that this is what's going on, and we see that in the history of Israel, which is a theocracy. Do you understand what a theocracy is? We live in a republic. It's supposed to be, well, it, it acts as a democracy, but really it's, a, it's supposed to be a republic, okay? And that is, a, a, is an organization that is ruled by the citizens, okay? A theocracy is not. A theocracy is ruled by the religious leaders, okay? And, and, and theocracy... That's God again. Okay, it's our theology. It's our theo. It's God. And it's like, how do we relate to him? And so we have spiritual leaders who lead the country. Okay? And so look at this picture of a woman named Deborah. Deborah was a prophet. What? 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 Hold. Stop. Stop. 
Deborah was a prophet. It doesn't say Deborah, Deborah was a prophetess. It says Deborah, Deborah was a prophet. If you look up that word prophet, that prophet means somebody who retells you what God said. Okay, this is what it means. Retells you what God said, tells you what God is saying, and then tells you what God says is forthcoming. It includes all of those. You can't get away from it. You can spin that. You can spit that. You can do that however you want to. But you cannot get away from that's what that word prophesy means. Okay? And so we have this picture. Deborah was a prophet. Not only was she a prophet, she had a husband. His name was Lapidus. And he, she was leading Israel at, wait a second. She's a prophet and she's leading all of Israel, not some of Israel, not a contingency, not the Republican Party of Israel, not the Democratic Party of Israel. She was leading all of Israel. That's what this woman was doing, okay? And she was holding court under the palm. Wait, she gets a tree named after her. I kid you not, the palm of Deborah. She was leading or holding court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. It says, and all the Israel went up to her to have their disputes decided. Stop it. Just stop it. So you're telling me that there's a woman who's leading Israel, who prophesies on behalf of the kingdom of God, who sits under a tree and waits for people to come to her, and she spits out the wisdom of God into the decision-making processes where they are going to change their whole lives based on what she says. The law of usage. God used a woman in a spiritual setting to lead men. Let's just keep reading this silly thing here. It says the Israelites went up to have their disputes decided. So she sent for Barak, uh, Barak the son of uh, Benoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Hold on a second. Now she's telling men what to do. She's straight up bossing them around. He could have said, you're not the boss of me. Okay, he could have said, you're a woman, sit down and be quiet. I won't have a woman speak and have authority over me. But he didn't. Look at this. She said, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. You go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, his troops at the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. So whoa, whoa, hold on a second. So not only is she a woman, not only is she a prophet, not only is she the president, so to speak, not, now she's the commander-in-chief. She's the boss of the army. She's bossing around the commander of the armies saying that she will lead the other people around to where we're going. Oh, my word. Where do we get that stuff from? And Barak said to her, and I don't think he was a wimp, but look at what Barak says to her. If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. See, when we think about Israel from our Bible, so many times we assume that it's the American political system, and so we ascribe it to that because that's the only thing that we know, those of us that were born and raised in America. 
It's the only thing we know. So when we start trying to interpret Scripture, we do it from that. And listen, I'm, I, I love being an American. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that you've got to understand this was Israel. This was a theocracy. These people were being led by God who was speaking and leading through a woman who we never, to the best of my knowledge, know what her husband was doing. I don't know what that, maybe he was a shepherd. I, I don't know. But he wasn't in the, the equation that we've seen this morning. Just Deborah was. Has God ever used a woman in leadership. Yep. She's a political leader. She's a spiritual leader. She's the military leader. And she's a prophet. That's pretty significant. That is pretty significant. So we have to admit then that God used women in spiritual leadership over men. <laughs> it's right there. Of this, there can be absolutely no doubt. And if that's not good enough, a couple of years later, God calls up prophet um, Joel, and he says, Hey, Joel, I want you to say this to Israel about the coming of the Lord. When the great and mighty day of the Lord comes, this is what's going to happen. And he talks about the world, you know, the chaos and stuff like that. And he says, But for you, okay, afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. What? Your sons and your sons and your grandpas, your sons and their fathers, your sons and their uncles, your son no. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your daughters. That means women. That means curvy, excuse me, with bosoms. Jesus lives inside of them. Sorry, welcome to the vineyard. Okay? But biology isn't dictating where God lives. It's not happening. And God is using women just like he used men. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters as a result of this will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Okay? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders on the, um, in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the, great, um, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the uh, survivors whom the Lord calls. And maybe you're sitting here and you go, well, that's just all well and good. Thank you very much, Pastor Jim. But that is Old Testament. That is OT. That is like our young people say, OG from heaven, okay? That's like the OG of the Bible. Okay, well, then let's go to the NT of the Bible, okay? You, the OT doesn't suit you? Let's go to the NT. What does it say in the NT? All right. Well, it says in the NT, okay, I, I, I hear we're living in, in, under a new covenant. In the NT, it says, then Peter stood up with the 11 disciples, okay, because they replaced the one that killed himself. All right. So he stood up with the 11 disciples. He raised his voice, addressed the crowd, and said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, not just Jews, Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so if you've ever wondered, okay, no mimosas till 9 o'clock. 
Okay, we're done there. So we can just say that's there. It says right there. It's nine o'clock in the morning. People don't drink before that. So just quit. Okay, so besides that, these people were gathered together and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell on them in little tongues of fire. And they began to speak. They began to speak the 10 known languages. This is what it says. I believe in angelic utterances. Please don't get me wrong. I believe in speaking in tongues the way it says in the book of um, Romans and in the book of 1 Corinthians. I believe in that, okay? But in this particular situation in Acts chapter 2, we're talking about speaking um, Spanish, Syrian, Greek, Roman, um, French, uh, I mean uh, Egyptian, um, Ethiopian, uh, um, Babylonian. We're talking about 10 known languages, And everybody's like, man, there's so much babbling going on in here. These people got to be drunk. And Peter says, whoa, nobody's drunk. It's only 9 o'clock. Evidently, that was go time. I'm just saying. But it's 9 o'clock. Nobody's drinking yet. He says, but let me tell you this. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. See, he drug it right out of the O-G-O-T right into the N-T. There it is. He parked it in the beginning of the Holy Spirit grow in the church and he said in the last days you ever wonder about the timeline of God you're living in the last days that's what Peter's saying you are living in the latter days right now in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my spirits both men and women I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they they, the men and women, they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everybody that calls on the name uh, of the Lord will be saved. So Peter just jumps right up and he says, let me define some things for you. Number one, you're living in the latter days. That's what he said. This is what was said when we're living in the latter days. This is going to happen. So here it is. You are now living in the latter days. We are not waiting for this to happen. We are waiting on the trumpet to blow. We're waiting on Jesus to show up in the eastern sky. The dead in Christ will rise. Those of us that are left will be caught up in the air with them. Glory to glory. Leaving corrupt flesh. Getting new bodies. Wonderful things. Please, Lord, take us home. But we're living in the last days. Number two, Peter's saying Joel's prophecy has come true. This has come true. Number three, he says, men will prophesy. Number four, he says, women will prophesy. Five, he says, spiritual men will have dreams and vision. Have you ever had a dream or a vision that there was no doubt in your mind was from God? Have you ever had a vision, broad daylight, where you see what's going on in front of you? But you know it's a vision. It's not real. But you see it. This scripture says that's supposed to be happening if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's what it says right here, okay? And then finally it says the Holy Spirit will be poured out on men and women and they will prophesy again. Two times in one prophetic word, God says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. Both of them. Two times. What do you think God was trying to get across to us? There you go. Still not done? All right, let's jump into the New Testament again. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. You know where Corinth is? Corinth is, is in uh, um, Greece. That's where it is. Corinth is Greece. Church of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the church of the Corinthians is in Greece. 
That's where it is. Paul's writing to the church in Greece, and he says, hey, but every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as her having her head shaved, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. So it's a little old church over there, first church of the, you know, the saints in, in um, Corinth, and they're over there, and they've obviously, obviously sent a question to Paul and said, Paul, we're trying to understand. We've got women here that prophesy. They're full of the Holy spirit but they're women and not only that they're gentiles what do we do with them and paul said listen to them you know if they got their head covered and a woman's long hair is given to her as her covering okay and then he says decide for yourself is it wrong for a woman to have her hair cut off do we live in a society where it's wrong for a woman to have short hair no we we, we don't as long as she's not trying to be a man a short hairstyle is fine but when you say no long hair is for girls how long was jesus's hair the scripture would say he was a Nazarite, and that meant he never cut his hair. Now, how long do you think his hair was? You see, this is the part where I probably was getting a little snarky. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth now. I'm not going to throw a rock. I'm just telling you the Bible does not support your opinion. Sorry. Think about it. It is truth, not opinion. Paul tells the women in Corinth, please, feel free to speak up. Feel free to prophesy and preach. And then he turns right around in answer to a question that Timothy writes to him about. Remember, Timothy was left in Ephesus. You know where Ephesus is? Ephesus is in Turkey. Greece, Turkey. Two totally different cultures. Okay, two totally different situations. Remember, um, Timothy was left in Ephesus, and Paul said, go ahead and you know, be in charge of the church, but he was a young man. And Paul had to say to him, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. So clearly something was going on, and Timothy wrote to Paul, and he had some questions, and Paul wrote back to him, first and second Timothy, and said, this is how you're supposed to arrange the church. Okay, So in Corinth, in, in Greece, they can pray out loud, and they can prophesy out loud. All right? The hair thing is about don't try to be a man, don't try to be a woman. You're a man, you're a woman, be who you are, okay? But the church in Ephesus, he says, a woman should learn in all quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was a woman who was deceived. I read the Bible. He was standing right there and she handed him the fruit come on there's something I don't understand the Bible's not wrong there's something I don't understand about this so he says for first Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived it was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner so Paul tells the church in Corinth Go ahead, let women preach, let them prophesy, let them share with you, but they got to have their head covered. And then he tells Timothy, no, you tell those women they can't talk. It says they have to be silent. The scripture I didn't read to you says they have to learn in silent. They don't get to sing. They have to be silent. Don't make noise, see? So you got to stop and ask yourself, do you think Paul was a spiritual schizophrenic? Really? You actually have to wrestle with that question because with all due respect, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth now. I just read it to you. He told them, go ahead and preach. He told them, sit down, be quiet. 
So we're missing something, right? Because people will grab that one verse and use it to beat women and beat women and beat women and beat women, and they'll totally ignore this verse over here that says, well, yeah, women can prophesy. Jesus lives inside of them. I'm not going to go with the curvy thing again because it embarrasses my wife. But, you know, it's like, yeah, Jesus lives inside of them. So what is it we don't understand? A while back when I was studying this, because I was raised and even got saved into a church that was what I would call severely patriarchal, okay, I had to do some studying to understand because it didn't make sense to me that Jesus was different in me than he was in my wife. Different roles. We got different roles in our marriage and stuff. Yeah, I get that. Not a problem. But what's the deal? And so as I was looking at it, one of the sites said the, the original translation that the King James was written from the actual manuscript says, I do not, to Timothy, in First Timothy, I do not permit the woman to have authority over men. Now, what if I change what you've always heard is, I do not permit a woman to have authority over men, and go to the original manuscript that was used to write the King James and say, I do not permit the woman to have. What does it do? It takes it from being anybody who's a female to understanding that Paul was talking to Timothy about a specific person, the woman. Who's the woman? We don't know. But it got changed because it, it, it felt more natural to some people back then to have women be quiet. So if I read it that way, then I begin to understand, okay, so, so maybe what we're not understanding is Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, in your situation, I need this to take place so that you can grow that church. And to the church in Corinth, he writes to that pastor and he says, yeah, women can preach. I don't have a problem with that. Just They need to have their head covers. What he's saying is they're not trying to be men, right? That's all. And then you wrestle with it just a little tiny bit. It makes a lot more sense. The last thing I want to share with you, and we'll blow this popsicle stand till tonight, is Jesus paid the price for the sin of men and women. I, I can't get around that. I don't see very many of you out in the fields with a hoe in your hand, growing your food, raising your cattle, your sheep, and everything by the sweat of your brow. You say, yeah, but we've come a long way. You can't actually put that. Listen, stop lying to yourself. Because then you say that was metaphorical, but then you point to women and say that was specific. And you can't halfway through a sentence change from being a metaphor to being specific. You have to take it all specifically or all metaphorically. So when it says, well, let me ask you this. Paul also said that women will be saved, their salvation. They'll be saved in childbearing. Do you think people are saved through bearing children? I don't. I think they're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I think it's grace and grace alone. So there's obviously something I don't understand about what Paul's saying, right? Sure. Can we just understand that when we get so young and we're so full of ourselves that we grab one little verse and we go around using it as a rock to hurt people with, that it's not what the Scripture says. We're listening to lies. I, I just want to know what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. That's all. Jesus in Luke 4 went to Nazareth where he'd been raised and brought up and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up and he read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it he found the place where it's written the spirit of the Lord is on me right now because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners recovery of sight for blind and this is the important part here and set the oppressed free 
women have been oppressed ever since the original sin. And Jesus said he came to set the oppressed free. He sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they rolled the scroll up, gave it to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began, began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When I face Jesus, and I will face Jesus, I will. And I will be judged more harshly than you. And I talked about that last week just a little tiny bit. I have got to get this right. And when Jesus looks at me, I want to hear him say, good job. You set the oppressed free. You didn't buy into the culture, not even the Christian culture in your nation. You understood that I came to pour out my, son, my spirit on your sons and your daughters and that they would prophesy. They would prophesy. And in doing so, you made places for them and you made way for them and some of them grew right up into great leaders. And I want to hear Jesus say that to me. On the cross, the debt was paid for men. <laughs> and women. And women. The subjugation of women is a result of the curse that God spoke on Eve because of the rebellion, the rebellious flesh nature inside of her that said she knows better than God, she'll eat the fruit. Jesus died on the cross and he said what? It is finished. What's finished? The dying? No. <laughs> he wasn't talking about being crucified. He was talking about paying the debt for the sin that Adam and Eve committed that we all incurred because it's been handed down to us. And Jesus said the debt is paid. It's done. It's finished. Well, if it's done for me, ladies, it's done for you. You are not living under that curse. Do we still have pain in childbirth? Sure do. Do we still have thorns and thistles? We sure do. And we also have the wisdom for a, one of them, what's that called? Thank you. An epidural. And we have the wisdom to build giant half a million dollar tractors with $10,000 stereos in them and more air conditioning. You could make ice cubes, not just keep them cold. And nobody wants to sweat. Ain't nobody got no time for that. Huh? I'm not living under that curse anymore. Thank you for the wisdom, God. Thank you for moving us forward. Then also the subjugation of women. They are free from that curse. Do we have different roles? Sure we do. F-16 F pilots, both lieutenants, meet each other on the street. Nobody has to salute to the other one. But they have different roles in that aircraft so that that aircraft is uh, flown in harmony, in unity. And that's important. It's important for us to get a hold of that. This is one of those things where you know, I, I just think it's time for us to stop and say, hey, why do we do what we do? And again, I get a little snarky and a little antsy and a little all things so that you'll laugh a little bit, but you'll remember it that way. Okay? That's why we allow and believe in women in leadership in this church. That's why you might walk in here and see a woman up here on this stage and you say, I'm not sure I believe in that. Is it because you were told that 
or because you were willing to walk through the scriptures and say, why do I believe it? I can find you one to beat women with, but I can find you more to set them free with. The law of usage is a, is a hinge pin for me. God used a woman to lead them politically, spiritually, militarily. Yeah. And if God can, then we can open up the door and say, hey, come on in. I want to invite you to come to your feet. We're going to go to this closing song. I know I went over and this sermon series is going to be one like that. But here's the deal. If you just been, feel, man or women, it doesn't really matter to me at this point. If you've been told that you're not enough and you're suffering with church hurt, you're suffering with being cast aside, you're suffering with, can we pray for you today? Because you are. With Christ inside of you, you are enough. And I want to encourage you in that. I pray that, ladies, that you will hear us say that if you've been told to sit down and be quiet by a church somewhere, please, I am so, so sorry. You should never have sat down and be quiet. been quiet. I believe that Christ lives inside of you if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. I believe that if you're chasing after him, I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to invite you to know that we care about you and we believe in you as, as much as we believe in the men in here. And we're going to continue to move forward in that. Listen, if you have ever been told you're not enough, I just want you to come up here for prayer while we're singing this song. And other prayer, you know what? No, I'm going to do it the other way. Prayer people, come up. Can you come up over here? Just come up here. Let's just do it this way. Come on. Don't be shy. It's going to be time for Pulse here. I've gone so long. Okay. If you feel like you've been told or you're listening to the devil tell you that you're not enough or your biology says you can't, can we pray for you? Anything else you want prayer for, come on up here. But that's where I'm putting it this morning. That's why we believe what we believe. Fathers, we come before you. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these ladies, Lord. Thank you for the way you move in their, their lives. Thank you for their prophetic vision. Thank you for their understanding. Thank you for their salvation experience with you. Thank you for the words of wisdom they have. Thank you for their nurture. Thank you for who they are and what it is that they're doing. And we just ask and pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around them and call them your own. Tell them to shed the nonsense and stand up, God, to be lionesses so that we can walk with each other and not behind each other. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.